Every anniversary service, we ask the question, why are we here? And we revisit it. Why is the Grove here? Why do we exist? And what good do we have to offer this place and the city that we are in? And every year we go back to Isaiah 61, the chapter from which we get the name, The Grove. And every year I discover something new in this chapter. So the lesson there is that the Bible is an endless, eternal well of beautiful goodness and beauty and truth for us to search out. And today what we find out from our verses is that there is a beautiful and hidden world among us. And it is more real than the seen world. It's more lasting than the seen world is. It's, it's like a treasure hidden in a field that you find. It's like a mustard seed that is the smallest of seeds that's planted among the garden and yet over time, slowly, it grows to become the biggest tree in the garden, a place, a home for birds, and a place where you can find shade under. And to be a Christian is to be a grove of people hidden in this world, opening up the doors of this hidden world for others to come in and find rest and peace Enjoy. It's, it's a door, it's an opening up to Eden. And we're going to be in chapter 61, but we're also looking at chapter 60. So we're being crazy this year. And we're going to look at chapter 60 as well. And I'm going to read to you a, a few verses from chapter 60 and then chapter 61. Now, let me just tell you. So chapter 60 is about this bright and beautiful hidden city world among us. And then chapter 61 is how it all happens. So let me read to you. God's word, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall not cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This is talking about us, well, and Christ, but here we go. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended and your people you shall be righteous that they shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness 
the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. God's word to us. And we're going to do a Q&A afterwards, as we always do. So as I'm going, if you have questions, make sure to get them in so I can answer them afterwards. There'll be a number up on the screen. All right, and here's our first point. A bright and beautiful city. So chapter 60 paints for us this hidden city that is shining with beauty, joy, peace, and love. And it lacks no good thing, and it lacks no good person. And all of the surrounding nations see this city, and they are drawn in. And the reason that they are drawn in is because God is there, and his glory is shining, and it's attractive, and it's shining off of us, the people of God. And we, as mirrors, are shining his light out to the world, and it's drawing people in. And it, it's such a glorious and beautiful light that there is no longer needed sun or moon. And the people who come find the gates are swung wide open. And all are welcome in because all who have been drawn there are seeking the peace that that city has to offer. And as you walk into the city and the stones are made of gold, you hear the sound of laughter coming from houses. And so you go over and you peek in and what you find is singing and dancing. It's a party. And everyone there is joyful. And even the worst of dancers who are shy about their dancing like me dance as good as Beyonce. <laughs> and this, this amazing, beautiful picture, this is concrete, poetic imagery that is meant to tell us about our spiritual reality that we can enter into. And this world that is hidden, we get our roots into it and it begins to change us. Okay, now that sounds great. Now, but here's the reality. Every morning before my kids go to school, there's this process of getting ready. And just before we walk out the door and the garage opens up like clockwork, a fight breaks out Someone's screaming and someone is yelling. And, and oftentimes it's my wife and I too. So the neighbors look in and are not seeing a party and singing and dancing, at least not all the time. But they're hearing the shouts. And, and you know, it's, my neighbors got to hear it. And they got to be like, oh, there's the pastor's house again. And... So, so what, what is this all telling us? Well, it's, it's saying, actually, that our, our world here is not going to be perfect. However, there's a hidden world among us, and if we could get our feet into it, if we could get our roots into it, what it means is that we have a temporary escape in a way. And we go into this world, this spiritual world, and we begin to be nourished. And so ideally what would happen, and often it doesn't, but ideally what would happen is Elise and I escape to this other world just for a moment. And we're filled up with the love of this world, the joy of this world, the peace of this world. And then we step back and we bring some order out of the chaos. And we do it with love because, you know, you could bring order out of the chaos. But if you do it without love, you become a tyrant. You become a dictator. 
But if you get your feet into this other world, you've got the love, joy, and peace of this world, and you come back in, and then you look at your kids with love, despite the screaming and the anger, and you just bring the order out of a loving posture versus out of an angry posture. There's a um, proverb. It says, it's easier to conquer a city than to master your spirit. And what it means is that there's this anger that's in all of us that could erupt at any moment. And it's easier to conquer a city than to manage your anger, than to master it. But this world gives us a way to do that when we get our feet into it. And, And so this world, well, let me say this. There is a saying that goes like this about Christians. They're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. If you've heard that, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. Because if this is true, you, you know, maybe the problem is us Christians are not stepping into this other world often enough. But what should be true of us is if we're so heavenly minded that we're constantly walking in Eden in a way. We're constantly walking with God in the heavens. We're constantly just raptured up into this other world. Then when we walk through this world, we ought to be bringing goodness into the world. We're oaks that make heaven, Eden, visible. And we're doing it not to be seen. We're not doing it by these grand gestures. It's just these small, hidden acts that when done enough, this other world begins to blossom. So the question you should be asking yourself right now is, well, okay, what's the process of me becoming like this oak? What does it feel like? What's the experience of becoming this thing that is alive in this world because it's got roots in another world. Well, this is our next point. It feels like going from withering to flourishing. Isaiah 1, all the way back to the book of Isaiah, the beginning, it starts off and it talks about withered oaks that are in a desolate land. And then you fast forward all the way to our chapter today and there are flourishing oaks in a city that's absolutely beautiful. So what happened? And the answer is a farmer came a gardener, a servant who would come and suffer so that he might bring flourishing. From something dead to something alive because this mysterious figure has come and died. All right, so what's that like? Well, look at what our verse says. The servant has come to... Do what? To bring good news to the poor. He's come to heal the brokenhearted, and he has come to set the captives free. All right, so we need to understand what poor means. The word poor here is not about physically being poor. It's part of that, but it's so much more. It could also be translated as afflicted. And what it means is if, if you know the word shalom, shalom means flourishing spiritually, emotionally, socially and culturally. And so the person who is poor means they're poor in all of these ways. It means that they have these longings that aren't being satisfied. It means that emotionally they lack love, they lack joy, they lack peace. It means that relationally they're, they have no one who loves them. It means that culturally The world is not a world where they can flourish. And then it says they're brokenhearted. Brokenhearted means 
you've given up on the hope that you can have flourishing. You know, when, when people vote for someone, you know what they're really doing? They're looking and they're saying, who's the person that has the best strategy and the best value system that's going to be able to bring flourishing? No matter which way you're voting, that's what you're after. But the brokenhearted, do you know what they say? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how I vote. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm stuck. I'm in this prison. And it's not getting better. All hope is lost. I'm in a dark night of the soul. And then it says they're captive in this prison. And, and that means they're captive in this world, but it also means they're, they're stuck with themselves. They're in this prison of their own sin, and they can't get out of it. And, and if they're brokenhearted, it means they've given up on any hope of getting out. And so they say something like, oh, I'm going to sin anyway, so I might as well enjoy it. Or I'm just giving up. This is hopeless. And, and I want you to know that's, that's hell walking the earth. But... When all that hope seems lost, there's a gardener who has come to grow something, to change something, anointed and appointed by the Spirit of God to be good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And, well, he's come to bring justice. Okay, well... You know what justice means? It means to right everything that's wrong. And, and so he, here becomes the problem of justice. Justice sounds amazing. Like, yes, make everything wrong right in this world. And you're like, do it, God. And then you look at yourself and you say, oh, no. Justice. And the cross is the only remedy. Because if you want justice in the world, then that means you got to go. But... But if you, if, if you don't want justice, well, then the world will swallow you up. But if there could be a gardener who could come and fix it, well, he does. This is, this is what the cross is accomplishing. On the cross, he's taking every single wrong that we have done, and he wears them, and he owns them as if it's his own. And he owns everything that we've done wrong, and he makes it his. And then he's crushed by justice on that cross. And then in the resurrection, it means everything sad will one day come untrue. Everything wrong will be undone. Flourishing. Completeness. All right. Let's even get more practical. So we think of our sin. And we think of the cross. And the first thing you think of is forgiveness. And you should. And for what forgiveness means for you is that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you anymore. Your faith has seen that God has made a way so that he will always relentlessly love you. And justice relentlessly comes down on Christ on the cross. Everything's taken care of. You know what it means? You're going to be okay. It means you can go running into the arms of God anytime you want. I wonder what's stopping you, though. And then we think about that. And then, but then we say, okay, well, I'm completely forgiven. This is amazing. Why would nobody want this? But then you look at your sin now, and you're like, well, I, I don't want to keep doing it. I want to stop because I'm so thankful for my God who has 
purchases forgiveness for me. And so you look at it and you're like, God, I want to stop this. And you know what? You say, please take this away. And he doesn't. You're like, God, what are you doing? He's teaching you that you aren't as dependent upon him as you think. You aren't drawing from him. Your roots aren't in him and your roots aren't in this other world. And he's getting you to this place where you're finally like, okay, fine. I will depend on you and I'll stop trying to do this myself. And then the gardener steps in and he gives you life. And then you're strengthened to face whatever's before you. So look, that's, that's your sin. And then you take your trials. You know, trials will make you and break you. They'll break you in that if you don't find life, you're done for. But they'll make you in that those trials can cause you to stop reaching for things in this world and start making you reach for another world. And when you do, you begin to have love, joy, peace. Because you're reaching somewhere else. It's not in you. It's outside of you. Seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek your own kingdom and you'll never find them. So heavenly mind, it doesn't take you out of this world. It keeps you walking in both. Walk here with the strength of there. You become a desert rose. You become a flower among weeds. You become a light in a dark place. And you become the type of person like the martyrs who are trapped in a prison and they look out at those who are holding them, who mock them, and they know that they have more freedom than the one out there who has imprisoned them that boasts of their freedom. And you hear that, and if you want it, which I'm sure you do, you ask, well, how do I get that? Well, do you have it? And if you're a Christian and you're saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't think I have that, well, then the question becomes, have you made your faith your own? Have you really wrestled through your doubts, through faith? Like, have you really had it out with God? Or you know what might be happening to you? You might be in the dark night of the soul. You might be on the cross. Meaning this, the cross always comes before the resurrection. And you right now are at, having the worst of it. But the promise here is that resurrection is three days away. That's good news. Christianity is a long walk up the mountain, not a quick plane ride to heaven. And the tests that you go through are proving whether or not you believe what you say you believe. And the tests are there to pull back the veil so you know where you are. It's so you know where you stand with God. Not you know where you stand with God like he's like, ah. But it's like he's saying, come to me. You haven't yet come to me, and the test is proving it. The test is proving that you've got roots in another world. And you're drawing nourishment from that world. And, and you know what happens if you do? You become a person who can party really well. And I mean that in all seriousness. Our next point, from morning oaks to a party of praise. Verse 3 says that the brokenhearted, they're wearing ashes, but then they're given beauty. So beauty comes up out of the ashes. 
They, they smell of sadness and depression, yet and then they're given an oil of gladness. They, they, they have been roaming the world, lost and empty, without everything that they want and need and long for. They're in the desert, and they're wearing the dusty clothes of the desert, but they've exchanged those for a beautiful garment of praise. Now, the, the hat and the oil and the clothing that was just described, that's, that's a picture of a person on their way to a party. What it means is the mark of a Christian is joy. And the mark of a church is a celebration, a party. And it doesn't mean you won't have sorrows in this world. You will. In fact, you might feel the sorrows more after you become a Christian. Because you're going to become so much more aware that this is not the way it's supposed to be. But within that sorrow, underneath it, is a deeper joy that keeps bubbling up past the sorrow and spilling out into this world. So the mark of a Christian is joy because their roots are in the world of joy. Now, if you and I sat down and we had a pastoral counseling session, and I said to you, are you happy? Do you have joy? What would you tell me? And what would your friends say? And what would your family say? Do you have joy? And, and if the answer is no, then you aren't a flourishing oak of righteousness. And, and, you know, when I say that, it almost sounds like, ah, but it's not that. It's not that at all. It's like, it's like the invitation has been sent. Step into this new world. It's yours. It's open. Christ has made a way. He's opened the door. So, and then you think about joy, and then you ask, well, if you ask, are you putting joy in other people's lives? So, if you've got roots in the kingdom of God of joy, and then you've got fruit, I mean, I know oaks don't have fruit, but this imagery is all throughout the Bible, and I think they flower or something. So, so you've got this fruit, and the fruit, guess where it's coming from? Heaven. It's this hidden world, and it's nourishing you. And so you get to drop this fruit of heaven in the earth here. And then you begin to bring joy into people's life. You bring peace. You bring strength in trials. Now, some of you are like, how do I get there? And what you're really doing is focusing on what you don't have. And you don't have these things. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on where to go to get it. It's in him, it's in Christ, it's in this other world. And, and you know what you really got to do? Is you got to focus on the story. And you got to get swept up into the story. Well, how does the story go? Well, the story goes from you wearing ashes to wearing beauty. From you mourning and sadness into joy and gladness. You see the story and you see the one who did it. See, he, you thought he was just a farmer. You thought he was just a gardener and a servant who came to die, but he's more. You find out he's actually the king. And the king was hidden underneath a crown of thorns the whole time before you. And you missed him because he was hiding the same way the kingdom is hiding. You have to long for it enough to reach for it enough. And then when you do that, you begin to say, you know what I was? I was a poor, empty man. 
I had longings that nothing in this world could satisfy. And I searched to the ends of the earth. And I did some horrible things in that search. And I'm broken. And I'm in a prison of my own sin and I couldn't get out. But then a king, disguised as a gardener, came. And, and he gave me beauty out of the ashes. He gave me gladness out of the sorrow. And he put in my mouth and on my lips praise. When I never thought I could be someone who did that. That's the story of you, if you're a Christian. And, and then the question is this. If you want to be happy, if you want joy, why aren't you going to God? Because if God is the fount of all happiness and joy, and you're avoiding him, the most important question you have to answer in this life is why are you avoiding him? And there's a reason. Because you want joy, but you don't want him. You want the kingdom without the king. And so what do you think you're going to lose if you go to him? What is it? Because when you can answer that, well, you know the battle that you have. And it's a battle for your heart. It's a battle for your soul. And you need some help in that. And so you bring it to God and say, this is who I am. This is what's happened to me. And, and, and when you find him and you go to him and you say, here's my sin. Here's my struggle. Here's my pain. Here's my emptiness. And to be honest with you, God, I want nothing to do with you. But I'm here because everything else hasn't worked. And that is when you find the delight of your soul, him. He's the prize, he's the goal, he's the telos of this life. And then when you do that, you're gonna do the most rebellious thing you can do in this world. You're gonna be able to have a party in the midst of your tears. You're gonna have all this anxiety, but the most rebellious thing that you're gonna be able to do in this world is have peace in the middle of it. Because because you look at the world and you say, everything says, if I'm going to obey this world, I should have anxiety right now. But instead, I'm putting my feet in another world and I'm going to have peace. And then you're just this rebel of this world. Because you're walking in another world. And you know, this world is bad. And if you don't believe it, you haven't walked through anything difficult. And if you don't believe it, you haven't looked at anybody else with some empathy. to seen what they've gone through. And maybe you don't want to see it. Because if you see it, then you've got to do something about it. So you close your eyes to it. If you'll just open them, it will cause you to run out of this world into the world that is to come. And then you've got roots there while you're here. This world will make you die a million different deaths. And those deaths will take you down unless you get your feet somewhere else. And when you do, it will bring fruit into the desolate land around you. This is our fourth point. The bright city covers the earth. All right, all right, all right. All right. This, is, this is where the name comes from. In verse four, it says, these oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, will rebuild the ruined cities of all the world. And then in verse chapter 60, we're looking at this city, and chapter 61 is how the city comes, and it comes through us. Oaks of righteousness. This is not something where we say, oh, they can handle this. Oh, God can do this. Well, God can. And he has said, I pick you to do it through. Do you know what this is? This is a recommissioning of Eden. The story of Eden is God made it good. Not perfect, good. 
to, for Eden to become perfect. It was, it was flooded with potential to reach perfection, but it wasn't perfect. It required humanity to take the Garden of Eden and grow it and expand it until it covered all the earth. That was the goal of Eden. And instead of doing that, we ran out of Eden. And so plan failed. Well, through the cross and the resurrection, God is now recommissioning us to take up the calling again. Which means we are called to be oaks. This is the vision. We're these walking trees that walk around the cities of the earth and we keep opening up the doors to this hidden world. Inviting people to enter in. Come on in. It's open. And you know, the most practical way you can do this is to invite people to church. Because the church holds open the door to the hidden city. The church is the way in. And often what I find with people is we're all chasing Eden. Everybody. Some form we're chasing Eden. And, and we have this mentality. I mean, you know the mentality. It's the grass is greener on the other side thing. It's the, you know what, if I could just get over there to this other city, then I'll be happy because there's where a little bit of Eden is. Or if I could just get a, on a mountain away from everybody, then I'll know I'll be happy because then I get to be away from all of these people. But, you know, maybe you don't like people because you have a problem and it's more of you than them. And so then you're on this mountain and you're stuck with yourself. So maybe... We should chase Eden into the church. And I'm not saying the church is perfect. I know, like, oh, I'm so angry at the church. Like, I get it. But it's still the hope of the world. And so we run into the doors of the church. And there we find the king who opens up the doors to Eden. And then, well, now we can invite others into it. Now, I want to tell you something I've noticed. Um, when someone new comes to the Grove, um, I say, how'd you hear about us? Often, more than not, it's Google. So what that means is there's somebody searching for the entryway into the invisible kingdom, and they searched instead of an oak saying, let me take you in. Now, our goal this year, we, every single year we have a big major goal. So our big audacious goal is that everyone invites one this year. Bring somebody here. It doesn't matter if they say, just bring somebody here. And then we can beat Google. And so, <laughs> um, now let me tell you who's gonna come. The people who come will not be the people who have it all together. The people who come will be the poor, spiritually poor, emotionally poor, socially poor, culturally poor. Like something is not delivering for them and they'll be broken. I give up on this world, give up on myself and they'll feel stuck in a prison and they're gonna come and they're not gonna come because you said, look at me and how wonderful I am. If you would like to be wonderful like me, then come. They're gonna come because you've been vulnerable with them and told them your story, which is not a story of triumph from your part. 
Because you, every single person that calls themselves a Christian, understands that they were poor. They once were poor. They once were brokenhearted. And they once were in a prison of their own sin, and they couldn't get out. And as much as they clawed, all that they found was bloody fingernails because they couldn't get out. But then one day, a king broke open the prison. Then one day in this desolate land, a king just pushed his hands into the dirt like a gardener and beauty rose up out of the ashes. Your story is so powerful and you're so embarrassed to share it. And if you would just share it, the doors would swing open for everybody who needs this place. So share it. It's the story of your king triumphing for you. All right, so you know you want to get the strength to do this, I know, and that sounds terrifying for you. And, and so really what it comes down to is this final question, and it all comes down to this. How do you get your roots in this other world? Last point, the eternal light and tree. The very first sermon that Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Luke comes right here from Isaiah 61. And if you've noticed in these verses, as I read them, it said, to bring good news to the poor. And then the person who says, I have come to bring good news to the poor, sees himself as the good news. It's not like he's saying, there's the good news. He's saying, here is the good news. In other words, he's the one who sets the captives free. He's the one who heals the broken hearts. He is the one who is good news to the poor. And, and, and you know, Jesus, Jesus is Jesus. And, you know, you got to deal with him. So in John 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches, which means I'm the root system and you're the tree. And then he says this, you can do no good apart from me. Now, okay, what is this man who claims things of a megalomaniac? This is, this is a divine claim here. And when he says you can do no good, it doesn't mean you can't do some good deeds without him. What he means is that there's a whole other world called heaven and the righteousness of heaven is there. And he is the one who opens the door. And when you root yourself into him, only through him can you bring heaven down to earth. It's in him, in him alone. And the key of how he does it is, is found in three words repeated in verse three, instead. Instead is said three times. And the word instead implies substitution. So beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning. And the way that the substitution happens is by a substitute. So the story of Christ is he is the light of heaven. And he's come down into our world and he's gone to the cross and he was distinguished. He was put out. The, the cover was put over him and he was swallowed up by darkness. And there in the darkness, the flame was relit and he rose. And by faith, he lights our wick and we become an eternal flame. And he's the eternal tree of heaven. 
who's come here to wither and die on a cross. And in his withering and in his dying, his, his dead roots enter into hell and into death, but then he comes alive. And in coming alive, because he's rooted in even to death and into everything of this earth and, in, and into you in your death, it means that if you go to him, because he came alive in death, it means you come alive. And that's how you become a flourishing oak. To reject him is to wither. To receive him is to flourish. So, be a flower in the desert. Be a beautiful tree in the midst of a weary land. And become the oak you've always been meant to become. In him. Let's pray. Father, in your mercy, you sent your son. Not because we're wonderful, but because you are. Not because we're complete, but because we're broken. Not because we're righteous, but you came to make us righteous. Help us to believe. Help us in our unbelief. And let us be people of joy. And let us not try to fake it, muster it up on our own, but dig our roots into your world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at the Grove Church Official and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.